Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenoyo. Please have your seat and take your Bible with me. I'm open to the first book of Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Like I said in the introduction, this series of teaching, by the grace of God, God helping us, hallmarks of good stewardship. As you've heard, this morning we are talking this month about stewardship. This morning I want to talk about faithfulness. That's the hallmark I want to talk about today, faithfulness. Faithfulness, a hallmark of good stewardship. Faithfulness, a hallmark of a good stewardship. What exactly does God look for in a man or in a woman? What does God look for in a man and a woman? So we are talking about faithfulness as one of the hallmarks. I'm tempted to say that it's one, it's, I don't want to say it's the foundational hallmark, but I want to say it's one of the foundational hallmarks that I've seen. In fact, in my studying the scripture today, not today, preparing for this sermon, it's actually given me a fresh understanding of the importance of faithfulness in our stewardship of faithfulness in our stewardship. And the other thing that struck me, and if we have time to get there, you, you understand that last month we were talking about faith and work. Actually, we are still talking about faith and work because faithfulness is being full of faith. And I'm, I'm, I'm trusting God that I'll be able to, to tie that. You cannot, a, let me put it this way, a good stewardship is built upon the foundation of faith. Okay, that's very, very important. A gusty worship is built upon the foundation of faith. Somebody with a little faith will not be a good steward. Somebody with no faith will, be, will not be a steward. And we are reading that story today, that parable during the Sunday school, when that man gave them different type of talent. Okay, you will understand that what they did with it actually depend on their knowledge of the master. Knowing the master, knowing what the master is about, being involved and plugged into the plan and the purpose of the master, and being willing to be an instrument to make sure that the purpose of the king is fulfilled, and that is what makes a good steward. So, so we are, we're still talking about the same thing, but let's read our couple of scripture. First Corinthians chapter 4, like I said, we are going to read verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. And what? Stewards. Okay, yes. And stewards of the mystery of God. Okay, now, I, I really wish I could sit down with these verses and break them down. That's not the purpose for today. But he said, let, let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and steward of the mystery of God. You understand that what led to this portion of the scripture, it will be interesting to lay a foundation. I've said it here many, 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 many times before. It is the nature of preaching that will preach test. Okay, we take a test out of the scripture and we preach it. But understand that there is always a contest to a test. So it's always good to understand the contest that lead us to where we are reading. And you will understand that what led Paul to this place, what he said, he got a report. Understand that the epistles that Paul wrote, he wrote because he was responding to specific needs of specific churches. 
all right? So he got a report that there were problems in the Corinthian church. It won't be a Corinthian church if there's no problem, okay? <laughs> that is why it's a Corinthian church, okay? And, the, and he heard that there were division, and he was telling them, he said, look, I could not feed you with strong food. I have to give you milk. He said there was division among you, and some were saying I'm of Paul, and some were saying I'm of Apollos, and some were saying I'm of Christ, and he said, well, stop that, stop that. And, and that is, that's what led to this place, and that is why he was saying, let a man so account of us, myself, Apollos, and other people, account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What makes a minister, again, this is not where I'm going, but I'm stuck here now. What makes a minister a minister is not the, 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 the color of their robe. It's not how loud they shout. It's not even how well they dance. What makes them minister is that they are steward of what? Of the mysteries of God. And what makes you, and you understand that, and we mentioned that in the Sunday school, that when we're talking about stewardship, I think I better mention that now. We are talking about, number one, our stewardship as Christians, and then we can talk about our stewardship in whatever offices that God has placed us. You understand that being a mother, being a father, being a husband, being a wife, is actually stewardship and that even your secular job in the face of God is a stewardship because the Bible says that if no man or woman works they should not eat you understand that our secular work is actually a spiritual stewardship so when we talk about stewardship don't limit it but the Bible says here that what makes somebody a minister is the fact that we are stewards of the mystery of God you know we cannot be as effective we cannot be as good as a steward if we don't understand the revelation of God who is the master of the house so what makes a good steward a good steward, or I understand we can say stewardess, but let's use steward. So I can't keep continuing to say steward or stewardess, or let's coin another word and say steward. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's keep going here. All right, let's call it steward. You understand that I'm going, I'm using both gender. Okay, right. So what makes a good steward is actually our knowledge of the mystery of God. But let's keep going. Verse two is actually where I'm going. It said, moreover, it is required in steward that a man or a woman be found faithful. And this is, this is, this is the verse I want to stick, stick, sit with. Maybe in another sermon somewhere I can sit with verse 1. Verse 2 is what I want to sit with. I'm not going to read the rest now. He said, moreover, it is required. Now, that word required is, is very, very important. In the way that scripture was, script, was scripted, uh, crafted and sculpted, it is talking about the essential requirement. This is a requirement that we cannot, we cannot, it is, this is essential. This is an essential requirement. Now, there are some requirements we may overlook. You know, it's just like somebody that <laughs> want, to, want to be a delivery man. You have to know how to drive. It's an essential requirement. There are some requirements. If you are a short man, don't worry, we'll raise you up. Okay. If you are too tall, we'll raise the car up or raise you up. That's not essential. It is essential for you to be a driver, for you to be able to drive and have a driving license. Okay, you can't turn up. And, and I see that all the time when we advertise in my place of work. And by the way, talking about, let me, I was going to mention that, talking about COVID pandemic uh, protocol. In doctor surgery, we still do the same protocol. Nothing has changed. In, even though the government is relaxing all the criteria, when you go to your doctors, the protocol is exactly still the same. 
I'm just trying to underscore the fact that it's absolutely fine that if people want to use their mask, okay, a lot of everybody have to try and work within the protocol that the government is asking us to do. So in my place of work, nothing changes really. You still have to put your mask, you still have to observe. So every, every organization will have to look into the, you know, how things work. So that was why I was expecting somebody to take my temperature when I got in here. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely, praise the Lord. Now, verse two says, moreover, it is required. It is an essential requirement. It is indispensable. It is the main and leading requirement of stewardship that a steward be found faithful. And this is very, very important. It is very important. I will say that again, that it is required in steward that a man be found faithful. It is essential requirement. It is indispensable. It's a cardinal virtue. It is the main and the leading expectation of or requirement of a steward or a stewardess for them to be found faithful. And that is why I want to talk about this issue of faithfulness with respect to our stewardship. And you know, the psalmist cried in one part. He said, help, Lord. The faithful are fast disappearing. Okay, this is, this is often a topic you don't hear much about today. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. And I'm going to talk about that when we talk, come to the place of faith. Nehemiah chapter 7. There was an interesting thing there in Nehemiah chapter 7. I just read verses 1 and 2. We all know the exploit of Nehemiah. We all know how Nehemiah came in, helped of God to get help from the king and get supply from the king, and he came with new Nehemiah. Nehemiah was serious. Nehemiah was huge, and he got the job done, and we knew about Sambalat and Tobias, how they wanted to trap him and stop the work and how the work was done, but all these things was done, and then we come to Nehemiah chapter 7, and there's an interesting thing. There was just a simple phrase there that caught my attention. Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass, when the world was built, and I had set up the doors, and the porters, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed. The job was done, but the job is not done. Because oftentimes, it is who takes over from you. The work of Jesus was done, you know that. He came, he died, he buried, was resurrected, he ascended, he went into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. But who is going to take over? Who is going to move this work forward? I was really, really quite excited when Pastor said, and it is true, that it was possible for him to go away for five weeks. So, Nehemiah has done all these things, but verse 2, that I gave my brother Anani, and Ananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for what? He was a faithful man, and feared God above many. Of what use will all those efforts will have been if there was no faithful woman and faithful men to hand the work over to? You know, it reminds me of my country, number one, anyway. They want to build road. Okay? I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> okay? Thank God if the road they built was of good quality. Let's assume that the road was of good quality. The problem is always the maintenance culture. Of what use, if, if, if I'm a man with so many riches that I cannot hand it over to my children, I can tell you story and story of story. When, when, when I was working back in Nigeria, many of these people, they were very rich. They built houses and houses, and once they die, the house gets divided. I mean, they've married three wives, and they have, and then when they die, all sorts of concubines start coming out of the world work, and they start killing each other. 
I mean, I remember one in particular. I mean, this was a palace. It was not a king, it was just a rich man. It was a palace. It was a big place. I remember one of, I mean, I'm not going to go into that. He died and his children started removing fittings from the house to sell up to the cable in the house. The house became empty and a shell of itself. Here we have Nehemiah did this wonderful work, but he needed to hand this over to a good steward. And he found it in, he has a brother called Anani. And then there was Ananiah, the ruler of the palace. And he gave them charge over Jerusalem. Not because they were the one that gave the biggest offering. No, not because they were the one that is luminous. No, what was that which Nehemiah was looking for? Remember what I said, what is it that God looked for in the life of his steward? The Bible says that I gave my brother verse 2, Ananiah, and Ananiah, the ruler of the palace, charged over Jerusalem, for he, Anani, was a faithful man and feared God above many. And faithfulness and the fear of God always go hand in hand. Maybe one of these days the Lord will help us to talk about the fear of the Lord. I have a couple of series of teaching on my channel on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, okay? You remember what I said about the quality of his steward? It actually depends on your understanding of the master. And when you understand our master, you will fear him. You remember the story of Joseph. Joseph feared God, all right? He feared God, and that is because he knew God. And here, the master of the house has given everything into the charge of Joseph because the master realized that everything this boy's hand handled turned into gold. And the master was very smart, okay? Very, very smart, and, and gave everything into the hand of Joseph. But Joseph had a problem. He was too handsome. It's not good to be too beautiful. <laughs> the guy was too handsome. And I don't, know how, I don't know how true this is, okay? I don't know how true some of this thing is. But some tradition tells us that, that um, Joseph was so handsome that the minister used to invite other people to come and just come for, for tea. I don't know how true that is, but the Bible did say he was handsome. Okay, whether it was handsome enough to cause trouble over time, I really don't know that. But, <laughs> but the Bible says that the Bible says that if he feared God, he could have gotten away with it. Okay, what made him to be a good steward was because he feared God and he was faithful to God and he was faithful to his master. We are talking about faithfulness as a hallmark of. Good stewardship. Second Timothy chapter two verses one to seven. Therefore, Second Timothy chapter two verses one to seven. Thou therefore, my son. Obviously, this is Paul writing to Timothy. You remember the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy was like a son to to Paul. In fact, Paul put Timothy to pastor the church in Ephesus. That was one of the foremost churches that Paul established. And Timothy was a very young boy, very young, relatively. And um, he didn't have the problem of being too handsome, but fair enough. <laughs> but he was a shy somebody, all right? And Paul put this boy to pastor this great church. And Paul will write him and encourage him. But this is one of the things Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 from verses verse 1 to 7. I won't read everything. He said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is where I want you to see. And this is very important. He said, The things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to who? Faithful men. This is the quality that God always looks for in men and women 
that God will commit things unto. Paul said, the things of this kingdom that you've heard of me from, well, well, uh, from many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, to faithful women, who will be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Faithfulness is mandatory because oftentimes the journey is not always easy. Somebody listening to me. Faithfulness is mandatory because oftentimes the journey is not always easy. And I will say this sometimes. Oftentimes, the most treacherous part of the journey is not always the hardest part of the journey. Sometimes, the most treacherous part of the journey is the most comfortable part of the journey. When it is easy for us to let our guard down. When we, when we are not on guard. When we are not praying as we used to pray. When we are not studying as we used to study. Because things are just happening. Sometimes, that can be the most treacherous part. Let me digress here. Do you know that after the Lord Jesus Christ ascended, the church was persecuted. I mean, persecuted with a capital PPP. But the church was glorious. The church was powerful. Stephen was killed and he was praying and his face was shining like an angel and Paul was born again. I read a story of the persecution that the church faced in those early days that actually many people were born again, seeing them die. Someone listening to me. I know some of a teaching like this makes people a little bit uncomfortable. I'm talking about faithfulness. I'm talking about stewardship. That actually, many people got born again. They said, what right have these people to die like this? I understand that many of them die very violent death. Okay? They were thrown into lion in, 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 the, in what they call this, you know? In the gallery, they call it Colosseum, something like that. Okay, some they use them for games, and and they throw them into lion. They burn them alive, but many of them die singing with smile on their face. And people were asking, "What right has these people to die like this?" So they prove in their death, they prove the reality of the faith that they proclaim. But you know the problem. Suddenly, the emperor became a Christian. Emperor Constantine became a Christian. And within a few years, Christianity became the state religion. Two problems. Number one, everybody became a Christian. No conviction. Emperor is a Christian, everybody become a Christian. There was, no, there was no experience with God, there was no work with God, the church was flooded. And then number two, the church started walking the corridor of power. And you know what happened? That was the beginning of the end. Oh, well. For those people that don't love God anyway. And that was where the Roman Catholic papacy came out from. Because it, it became less of God, but more of the office. It became more of who you know rather than God. So, so this is what I'm saying here. Paul was telling Timothy that what you've had and received coming to faithful men and women who shall be able to teach others also, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then we can go on and on and on and on and on as he was reading. But let's keep going. What is stewardship? Even though I'm not particularly talking about stewardship, I'm talking about the hallmark of it. But let's talk about stewardship. And I'll tell you what, you are going to hear a lot of definition of stewardship and all of them will be right. Now, this is, this is just a secular definition that I look at and I thought I, thought I liked this. So I'm going to give you this. It says that stewardship is the assignment and the acceptance of responsibility to shepherd and to safeguard the valuables 
of others. Now, this is very, very important. By the way, this is not a biblical definition. This is just a definition. The most important thing is that you, this is, not, this is about the valuables of somebody else. And that's very important. So when we talk about you being a steward, we are talking about you are involved with somebody, or you are involved with something, whatever, and that you are guarding and safeguarding their valuable. So I'll read that again. It's the assignment. So you have an assignment, and you have accepted that assignment. You have accepted that, that responsibility to shepherd and safeguard the valuables of others. Obviously, in this particular case, we are talking about God. And I remember, I remember somebody say, saying that when I walked in, that actually, stewardship starts from us understanding that we don't own ourselves. I'm not going to be able to get there today. It's understanding that you and I, we think we can. You cannot lift a finger without the grace of God. Even the unbeliever depends upon his grace. They just didn't know it. The Bible says that it makes its rain to fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous. It makes the, shine, the, the light to shine. There is a general grace and mercy of God upon humanity. But that grace will be withdrawn at the end of this age, and people will understand what God has been doing on behalf of them, because the Bible calls it the seven-year tribulation. The Bible says that men will cause God. The Bible says the heart of men will fail them for the things that is happening, that is going to happen upon the face of the earth. One to two-thirds of people will die of plague and pestilence. People think that, I mean, it's bad enough what we are witnessing now. It could be worse, but for the grace of God. And it's all because of the sin of men. It's all because of the rebellion against God and the will and the purpose of God. People say, where is God? I say, wow, it's a miracle that worse things are not happening in our world today. And people will understand when the grace of God is withdrawn and, and terrible things start happening. And the Bible says, even then, they will still not repent. The evil of the heart of men, but for the grace of God. So originally, when people started talking about stewardship, again, this is just a secular thing. When people start using, I'm talking about English now. When people are using the words, it was originally domestic stewardship. It was used for household servant. And the duty of the household servant essentially is to bring food, food and drinks to the castle, to the hall. That was where they started from. And that word steward, again, we are sticking, sticking with English, came from two words, which means house or hall. And the other side means guidians, guidian to guide, guardian, or keeper. In other words, fundamentally, a steward is a keeper of the house. A steward is a guardian of the house. So obviously, after some time, the, the, their job description started expanding to include not just domestic, but service and management need of the entire household. Obviously, today, we now have commercial stewards. You've seen them in the airplane, in the ship, you see all those commercial stewards, trains, ship, airplane, even guests in restaurant. What is, their, what is their job? They tend to the need of the customer. That's their job, to tend to the service need of their customer. And that is essentially what a steward is. But what we are doing now is, and the Bible, the Bible uses this all the time. It, the Bible gives us secular things for us to learn from. And this is how... The Bible is now showing us the similarity between this stewardship that I've mentioned 
and the stewardship of every Christian and the stewardship of ministerial offices. Number two things, listen to me, two things. All right. You have, as a Christian, God expects stewardship. But all of us also have ministerial offices in the church. Okay, oftentimes we talk about the fivefold ministry. Even in the scripture, actually the scripture mentioned much more than fivefold ministry. Yes, fivefold ministry was mentioned in Ephesians, but when you read Corinthians, it's actually expanded on that. But all of them demand the same thing, which is all about stewardship. So what we've read in all those places where we read, particularly when we started in Corinthians, is that stewardship demands faithfulness. Faithfulness is the feet upon which stewardship stands. Faithfulness is the backbone, is the foundation of stewardship. And that is what we read in that Corinthians when it says that it is very, very, it is a requirement for a steward to be faithful. Now, in the next couple of minutes, I want to tie a couple of things together. You remember what I said, that this is what God looked for when God calls him. And we see that example in Nehemiah. If we go to Acts chapter 6, you remember in the early church there was a problem. The Bible says that when the numbers of the Christians increased, there was some division. There was some problems. Some, some, some part of the church was being ignored. And the Bible then said that the apostles said, okay, look, verse 3, Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Wherefore, Peter was talking here. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. There was a business. Is someone listening to me? There was a work to be done. There was a demand in the house. Just like we are mentioning today, there's work to be done. There's always a work to be done in the house of God. And Paul, I mean, Peter said, and the apostle said, look, Choose men. What was the character? What are we looking for? They must be men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, whom we may appoint over this business. Understand that this is a business, not a business in the sense of trying to generate money for ourselves, a business in the sense that we are expecting an outcome. We are expecting an outcome, life to be saved, life to be healed. We are expecting it's a business. We are not just here. Somebody said, well, we, we, well, well one, of the, one, of the, one of the reward is just participating. Yes, thanks for participation, but we want results. We are here because we want to experience God. We want, to, we want life to be changed. We want body to be healed. We want there to be encouragement. We want there to be, to be a lifting up. And Peter said, choose men, verse 5. And this same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of himself. No. A man full of techniques. No. A man full of faith. And of the Holy Ghost. You know, oftentimes when I read that place, I always look at it this way, that they chose uh, Stephen. Stephen must be a man that is, you know, full of faith. He was a, was a man of faith. He's always saying, I believe God. I believe God. And I realize, actually, oftentimes when we talk about faith, we look at faith from one side of things. I want to tell you today that faith and faithfulness is two sides of the same coin. Faithfulness simply means Full 
of faith. What he's saying here is actually they chose Stephen. Remember what they said earlier on, choose men of what? Honest report. The foundation and fundamental way you get honest report is for you to be faithful. Honest report. He was a man that was faithful. That is how we know he was full of faith. Oftentimes, when we want to know people that are full of faith, we want to know people that blow tongues. Ah, he's full of faith. Now, actually, that's part of it. I'm coming somewhere. That is part of it. But fundamentally, listen to me. Fundamentally, fundamentally, the first product of faith is faithfulness. When you have faith, what do you mean by when I, when I have? When you know God, faith is the evidence, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you have faith, you know God. Like Joseph did, like Abraham did, like Peter did, like Paul did. When you have faith, when you have faith in the sense of knowing God for who God is, the first thing it produces is not a rascality. It produces a faithful character. That's the first thing it produces in you. Faith, faith, first of all, changes you. Without faith, there's no faithfulness. A man full of faith is, first of all, a faithful man. If you are not faithful, you are not a man of faith. Some people are, hey, it's pastor. You know, they want to believe God, for, but they are not faithful. I am, I am very suspicious of that type of faith. That is hyper-faith. Now, when you read the scripture, and this is very important, and I'm going to round up now. So, you know, when you look at the scripture, and, and you're, you're, I want to talk about faith and faithfulness. When you talk about, look at the scripture and talk about faithfulness, and you look at the way it was originally used in the scripture, you will see that faithfulness was actually used both in a passive and an active way. I actually don't like that word passive and active way, but that's the way they talk about it. I'd rather talk about in-working and out-working. Most of what we talk about, people, you know, you know, talking by faith, I receive. Actually, that is the out-working of faithfulness. Do you know what the Bible says about Sarah? Listen to me. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, I've always wondered about this. You read Hebrews chapter 11, I was talking, this is, the, this is the faith hall of fame. And some of the things they wrote there, most those people were not gyrating. They were, they were not the people that we will traditionally call men and women of faith. Some of them were killed. Some of them suffer. Even those ones that actually got big things, they were not our traditional people that we talk about men of, you know, when we, took up, when we say this guy is a, is, a, is a man of faith, a woman of faith, we always see all these people, all these rascal people that have big mouth and shout and scream and all those things. Oftentimes, that's the, because that's what we see on TV. I'm a man of faith! <clears throat> I'll tell you what, if I'm a man of faith! No, 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 don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking that down. But actually, the list you see in Hebrews chapter 11 a list of men or women that were faithful. And what I found out is that it's in the place of their faithfulness that they witnessed the mighty hand of God. And what, this, what the Bible lists for us is in, in Hebrews 11 is actually to show us how these people were faithful. Oftentimes, in a very difficult circumstances. So when we talk about faithfulness, you need to understand that there's an in-working of faithfulness where it affects who we are. 
our characters. And there is an outworking of faithfulness where we are able to produce because we are faithful. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was thinking about this. Many people have very beautiful, you know, some people have garden in front of their house and garden at the back. Some people, the garden in the back is a bush. But the one in the front is beautiful. <laughs> you know, oh, let, let's, look the, let's take the illustration. Some people, when you go to their living room, it's, it's, ah, it's, it's on point. But go to the bedroom. Everything is everywhere. And that is, that's a picture of some people, you know, faith, the one we see. I believe God. But faithfulness in the bedroom is chaos. No. The bedroom is supposed to spill over into the living room. The secret of the living room is the bedroom. The secret of the garden in front of the house should be the one at the back of the house. But oftentimes it's easy for us to take care for people, for us to try and take care of what people see. So, so there's a sense in which when we talk about faithfulness, faithfulness just means that you are trustworthy, you are reliable. But you know that is the same word for to act in faith. Where, see, to be faithful means you can be trusted. To act in faith means that you are trusting. To be faithful means that you are reliable. To act in faith means that you are relying. You see, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's something that is continuous. Faithfulness and faith. It is because God is faithful. That is why we can have faith in him. This is, this is the thing. One of the things I see in men and women that work with God is that they have a revelation of God's faithfulness. The Bible says that Sarah received strength to conceive because she judged God to be faithful. I'm going to stop there. Because when you read the scripture, one of the things you see in the scripture that it tells us very, very clearly is that God is faithful. Please stand up on your feet with me. This is, this is an intrinsic attribute of God. And God has called us also to be faithful. And one of the things I see reading, when you read the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, look at the verse first. The church is called faithful in Christ. This, is, this must be our our fundamental character, faithfulness. And there is no way we can develop that unless we begin to know him. And we've talked about all those things over the years. It's as we see him, we are transformed into his image. And one of the, one of the fundamental revelations, do you know? Oh my God, I didn't get that. Do you know that Jesus, Jesus is a manifestation of God's faithfulness? Jesus is called what? Amen. Do you know what the word amen means in the Hebrew language? It means faithful. I know we always say it's yes and amen. Yes, it means yes. But actually the fundamental meaning of the word that is translated amen is faithful. So when Jesus appeared, suddenly we realized that God is faithful. He has given us all these promises. You know, you will know whether somebody is faithful when it takes something out of them to fulfill their promises that is made for you. When somebody gave their life just to fulfill their promises for you, they are faithful. And if God will not withhold his son from us, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? But if God is faithful to me, then I must be faithful to him and I must be faithful to you. Because this is, this, is, this, is, this is how it works. We'll, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and we are transformed 
into that image. I can be here and tell you, be faithful, be faithful. No, no, no. Until you see the faithfulness of God towards you. The lamentation says, great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of our God never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's when I begin to see, understand that God doesn't owe me anything. God is so faithful. He has given me much more than I need. It's as that begins to dawn on me, I will begin to change. And I will begin to walk in faithfulness. And I will begin to walk out that faithfulness. And that is what we call faith. And many, many, many great men of faith in the Bible are not loud. They are so quiet. Because, because their faith is a restful faith, not a wrestling faith. We sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on YouTube Maranatha Teaching Channel. They will bless you. Thank you.